Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. I saw in the news this morning that Muhammad Ali passed away, which was very sad. Another iconic person is gone, but I don't have much to say beyond that. Me either. Same here. Same. Do you guys know he's a boxer? I did know I did. that. I did. I did know that. <laughs> and a sculptor. They used to call him Cassius Clay. I can't tell if you're making a pun or not. Yeah, his, he used to be called Cassius Clay, but not because he was a sculptor. That was his name before he converted to Islam. Okay. He started going by Muhammad So Ali. you were making a pun. I was making a pun. Got it. You know he died, Lawson, right? Yes, but he wanted like to Like, really recently. Joy. I know. I'm sorry. He, y'all, he died while I was in the theater. We The movie ended, uh, and it was like, oh, <laughs> while we were watching that movie, Muhammad Ali died. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, well, what do y'all think? Do y'all want to... Well, do to... <laughs> on that upbeat note... <laughs> hello, hello, welcome. We are very excited this week for a few topics we're going to be covering. Uh, this week on Feeling It, we're going to start by sharing what we're feeling. Then we'll move on to some news covering the topic of emoji. And finally, we will have a conversation about the new Lonely Island film, Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, a film which, full disclosure, I have not yet seen. So the other three hosts are going to be trying to convince me whether I should or should not see the film. So first, let's introduce ourselves, tell you a little bit about who we are. Uh, And I'm going to ask a question for everybody, since we're going to be talking about emoji. What is the most recent emoji that you used? So let's start with you, Sandra. I'm Sandra. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And the most recent emoji I've used is what I call the wincing face. It's where like he's showing a lot of teeth and he's uncomfortable. I'm Lawson Soward, an art director in Nashville, Tennessee. And my most recent used emoji is the thumbs up. I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from the Bay Area. And the latest emoji I used is pizza. All right. And my name is Brent. I live in Chicago and work in tech. And I also write about film and theology online. And the most recent emoji that I used... Uh, was what Slack calls joy. It's somebody who's laughing so hard that they're crying. Tears of joy. Tears of joy. The new lol. Well, since we're already talking emoji so much, let's go ahead and dive right into our news topic this week. Uh, This week it was announced that I believe 72 new emoji are going to be released sometime later this month or later this summer. Uh, Obviously, they'll be releasing across all the various platforms, including Facebook and Google and uh, iOS and other places. Uh, So... Emoji occupy one of those kind of weird spaces in culture where, for some reason, whenever you bring them up, um, it kind of feels almost corny to talk about them, but we all use them all the time, and they've become a huge part of how we express ourselves. So we just wanted to have a quick conversation about emoji. Uh, Looking at the new slate of candidates, what are the emoji that you're most excited about? We want to talk about what are some of the emoji that you use the most? Uh, How do you express yourself with these? So, yeah, looking at this new slate of 72 emojis, what are the emoji, which is, of course, the plural of emoji, uh, which ones are you most excited about? So, Brent, while you're on that topic, before we go on to what we're excited about, um, I recently listened to a podcast where they discussed what the plural of emoji is. What was the verdict? So Unicode, the organization that creates and approves emojis, they would like emoji to be both the singular and the plural. But this podcast was with an internet linguist, and she believes that the more common cultural 
use is emojis, plural, with an S. Um, and she believes that that's going to be what's will be adopted as the official plural because society determines language, not organizations. Interesting. Okay, I, well, I use emojis with an S. Yeah, same. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as well. So of the new slate of emoji or emojis, uh, which ones jump out at you immediately? I was just going to say, I just wanted to be clear that if you see any images of these, these are not the actual images. These are artist renditions of them. The, um, the types have been approved. So like the list is approved, but any renditions are not official yet. Good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, the one that I'm the most excited about is the shrug emoji. I'm a big user and fan of the shrug emoticon. Yeah. Um, I have a keyboard shortcut for it in my phone so that I can just type that out easily. Um, But a shrug emoji is something I've definitely, I feel like we've definitely been needing. So I'm most excited about that one coming. I think the, the biggest use of that is like the like in the emoticon it's a smiling shrugging exactly. guy like what can i do kind of a thing right. and in the picture that i'm looking at this girl has like a worried look on her face yeah as, as she shrugs like that's not really this the way i use it see, <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to see how it'll actually get translated out i'm excited <laughs> for the option because sometimes i do feel smiling face what can you do shrug yeah but sometimes i feel more like oh i don't know kind of shrug and i feel like the emoji will come in handy for those latter circumstances existential helplessness there's just some emotions i don't know how to express if there's not an emoji for it (laughs) yeah yeah you know Um, give them time give them time i think I think a much needed one that's coming is the fingers crossed emoji. Yes. I was yes, just going to yes. say, I'm so excited for that one. There are so many times that I want to use that in place of, I hope so, or as a punchline to something like, I totally was lying just now. Like, I, I can see that <laughs> yeah. being in a lot of common use. I've wanted that one several times. Definitely. I'm really surprised that the bacon emoji has not been out yet. When I heard that was on the list, I just kind of was shocked that that wasn't already in my emoji. Um keyboard yeah it's kind of like the taco one whenever that came around i was like right How is this yeah taking this long yeah seriously yeah, i don't really mind the i don't really care too much about the food emoji just because usually those are the kind of emoji almost similarly with the animals where it takes so much time to find them that i just tend to think like it would <laughs> be a lot quicker to, yeah but even then it's like you're still having to type in the name of what you're going to find so at that point you've already typed the word um so yeah. my emoji use tends to be pretty limited to um to faces to like the emotion faces uh but there are also a few other key ones that occasionally i'll slip in that for some reason among my friends it's like it has a specific connotation not even as a reference to anything in particular uh but just because like that's what it's come to represent so like the whale emoji for whatever reason kind of has come to it's something i mean the only way i can express it is like whale and it's not even supposed to be a pun on whale um but it's kind of like if you do something that's like slightly embarrassing or if you did something that was like sort of hilariously awkward or if you're like here comes this conversation i'm not really looking forward to it's just like the big it's almost like the elephant in the room like it's the big giant whale that you just kind of plop down there um so all that to say i'm really excited about the like dead flower because it just looks like a great way to like self-awarely acknowledge your own melodrama or how intense or needy you're being about something. I was just going to use it every time uh, somebody mentions Beauty and the well, Beast. Well, that's what I, I was going to mention that. I'm also excited that it's coming because I feel like I am really digging the idea lately of 
pop culture launches that have an emoji paired with them for like a cultural uh-huh. shorthand. So like the most recent one was Lemonade um, with mm-hmm. Beyonce. When the song Panda came out, there's a panda emoji that people, people could use. Um, I really feel like Kanye should have stuck to his title of Waves so that we could have stuck with the Waves emoji. Absolutely. I remember like <laughs> really being disappointed whenever he changed the title from that. Yeah. And so... I feel like this is such great timing for the Beauty and the Beast movie coming out next year. Like, it just goes hand in hand. Um, Love it. I also, I don't know, I'm sorry, Brent, I don't remember if you pointed this out or not, but I do want to make it clear that although they sh- the new set of emoji is supposed to be approved and officially released this month, um, June 2016, um, we probably won't see them on our phones this month. We don't know Correct. when Apple like releases emojis. Maybe it might be till the fall. Um, but I am curious how, with a lot of us, at least in this group, using Gboard, how fast Google will adopt these emojis mm. and whether we might be seeing them before a lot of our other just like regular Apple keyboard friends. Um, that's something I'm really interested in finding out. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, so which ones, so Brent, we talked about like which ones you use the most. Lawson, what is your like most used emoji on a normal basis? So the emoji that I use the most is the one I use most recently. Um, it's the thumbs up and I don't know. I just find it really helpful. Uh, instead of saying, okay, it's kind of like a, that's great. And I'll, I'll usually type in three thumbs up in a row. Um, other than that, I think the one that I use the most is the, uh, the, the party horn blowing out confetti everywhere. Oh, yeah, everywhere. like celebration. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm often replying to people, instead of a thumbs up, because I don't want to appear too enthusiastic, because a lot of the times they're just, like, work questions, or um, I respond with the check mark emoji as a, like, got it, yes. I Yeah, I also use the thumbs up for that, because I, yeah. I don't have red receipts on, so I kind of use that as, like, yeah, I read that. Gotcha, gotcha. yeah, yeah. A few others that are in uh, that are common in my rotation. I do use the grimacing face pretty often with the teeth bared. Uh, heart eyes comes up multiple oh, times yeah. a day in just oh, about yeah. all my conversations. And the heart itself, I'll use a ton. Usually, though, if I use it, I'm going to use at least five of them. Like the whole way that I use the heart is just to like <laughs> hammer that in. Uh, and then Brent, one of my favorites. Oh, what'd you say? I was going to say, speaking of the heart, I'm so excited about a black heart coming in the new set. Yes. <laughs> and it's right in the, in the image I'm looking at, it's right next to the dead flower. <laughs> uh, I also really love, I think the face is supposed to be a smirking face. This is one of the emojis we already have. It's like smirking, but his eyebrows are kind of raised. He's looking to the side. His mouth has kind of a side grin that's a little cocked. Uh, that one I tend to use like when I'm being very self-awarely, like, suggestive in what I'm saying. Uh, so I tend to think that that little jerk is pretty handy. Uh, and then there's one that's very similar, except that he's frowning. So he has the same eyes, but he's frowning. And I tend to use that if I feel like I'm being suggestive in a way that I should be ashamed of. <laughs> Speaking of being suggestive, I don't know what dating would be like without the winking face emoji. I didn't do a ton of dating before we had emojis. And so like winking face emoji and blowing kiss emoji, I feel like is so helpful in meeting new people and flirting in a fun, light way. Yeah. Text is so sterile. Like it's really, really helpful to be able to put some representations of body language into it. Yeah. 
What is um, funny though is whenever I see emoji used anywhere except for digital or text-based interaction, it like drives me bananas. And so I've seen like emoji stickers and I see I've seen like emoji pillow and other things. And I know there's even like emoji an emoji movie in the works, but for whatever reason, I think they only to me they are only like fun and charming when they're in the context of like text messages or Facebook messages. And as soon as you pull them out of that, I just think that they're like kind of obnoxious and out of place. Could not agree more. Lawson, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned the fox emoji yet. Oh yeah, foxes are my favorite animal, so I'm really stoked about that. Um, I'm kind of like Brent in that I don't use uh, animal emojis very often, um, but I can picture like using that as a one-word Twitter bio or something. I don't know. I like. I feel like there's a lot of places that I'll want to use it as shorthand, but in general, I don't know it'll come up in, in conversation a lot. The one that I think will come up a lot more is the prince emoji. Like, they had the princess one, and now they have the prince, because I just know, like, some of my closest friends are very charming and considerate uh, men, and the way that our kind of group of friends uh, communicates that someone is just the best, and a male's like, he's a prince. He's just a total prince. Yeah. So that'll be a great shorthand, um, and I think that'll come up a lot. I also love how most of the emoji have just kind of like the same general cartoony aesthetic, but then there's a few that just look like these tiny little beautiful hyper-realistic masterpieces. And so the one that always stuck <laughs> out to me was like, the dragon is one. You've got the dragon head, but then you have the full dragon, and it's just like this beautiful curled um, dragon with like long whiskers and like delicate fingers. And so they've just added the silverback gorilla that also just looks like this majestic, beautiful little piece of artwork. Lucas, which emoji do you use most frequently? Probably for for me, I probably use the thumbs up the most frequently. I, that's how I get away with just not not talking to people. Is <laughs> it's just the name of a quick thumbs up. Um, but the the other one I probably use the most frequently is the um, the top hat with the OK symbol because if you use them in that order, it looks like somebody's tipping their hat. Oh. Um, and so I, I I use that a lot to just kind of like a oh thank you like a you know tip your hat. That's it. You know. In prep for this conversation, I spent a lot of time on the Unicode website reading, like, their guidelines for emoji submission. Mm -hmm. um, and you speaking of, like, a sequence, Lucas, um, one of the interesting things about it, if you want to submit an emoji idea or a design to Unicode is that they're trying to, you know, obviously keep it as tight of a number of emojis as possible. And so they won't accept anything that can be re represented by two emojis put together. So for example, mm -hmm. you couldn't submit crying baby because there is a crying emoji and a baby emoji. And so and rather they would, they would rather you use those two together than create a whole new emoji for something that could already be represented. Interesting. It's like when Jelly Bellies are like, we have a root beer fo float favor. You just put together root beer, ice cream, and like fizz, or I forget what it is. But yeah, <laughs> that reminds me of Jelly Belly recipes. The good old club right. soda. <laughs> <laughs> right. Best by itself, but still good in combination. Club soda jelly beans. It's also interesting, like the food, like we, we've talked about food just a little bit earlier, but like the different kinds of food that are slowly being adopted into the emoji language, it started out like big in Asia. And so for a while it was primarily Asian food. Um, 
And now they're slowly, like, incorporating, like, different cultures of food. Um, I'm really excited about the stuffed pita sandwich that's going to be in the new set. Mm -hmm. I go get that as a meal quite often. And so that's one that I'm excited to have access to. Yeah, I'm excited for the avocado and for the tumbler of whiskey as well. Oh, yeah. Much more representative of my actual diet. (laughs) (laughs) Avocados and whiskey. Oh, before we finish this conversation, I do have to bring up... It's not in the set that's supposed to come out this year. It's in a set that's, I think, supposed to come out in 2017. But one of the new ones is the fortune cookie. And I am a big proponent that, you know, currently we use the eggplant as, like, an emoji representative of a penis um, in, like, pop culture. I'm a big proponent that instead of a taco, the fortune cookie needs to become the new vagina emoji. I think it's, like, kind of, like, looks more like a vagina uh, so I'm a big fan of whenever that one's going to come into our, like, cultural lexicon. Have you already started the Twitter campaign? Oh, I need to. I need I need a good hashtag. All right. Send your suggestions, listeners. Uh, yes. Tweet <laughs> us. Like, oh, yes. really, though? Tweet just, us your just suggestions. Just tweet us suggestions. <laughs> tweet me your suggestions. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should be more I'd... fitting. We've got a cucumber coming in, too, so, like, that's a lot more straightforwardly phallic if well, we're interested in replacing both of them. But who wants to be a cucumber when you could be an eggplant? Oh, Okay. Uh, that's, that's my feeling. Like, <laughs> um. Okay, well, obviously, obviously, we were all very excited about the new emoji. I was so excited that it actually kicked us a little bit out of order. So let's go ahead and circle back around uh, to what we're feeling this week. Sandra, what is making you use the heart eyes emoji this week? This week, I am really feeling uh, a podcast that started about two months ago. It's called the Keeping It 1600 podcast. This is a political podcast. So for a little bit of background, I grew up. listening to talk radio constantly because my dad loved conservative talk radio. We listened to it almost nonstop in the car. And I truly hated it because, one, I found political talk boring. And also, I hated people just yelling at each other. And I swore to myself that when I was an adult and I had my own car, I would not, like, become this adult that just, like, listens to people talk about politics all the time. (laughs) So cut to me at 27 (laughs) loving this podcast about this election. Um, This podcast is hosted by Dan Pfeiffer and John Favreau, not the director, John Favreau, a different John Favreau. Um, So Dan Pfeiffer and John Favreau were former senior advisors to President Obama. Um, Dan Pfeiffer was the communications director and John Favreau was the head speech writer. And to put it in Aaron Sorkin's West Wing terms, Dan Pfeiffer was like the Toby Ziegler and John Favreau was like the Sam Seaborn. I can't express how helpful that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's really crazy because John Favreau is a lot like Sam Seaborn, like quite a bit. I know, seriously. He's like incredibly <laughs> handsome and charming. He, um, his writing style is like, to me, very Sam Seaborn-esque. Um, which I guess means Sorkin-esque. <laughs> um, but he is, like, young and not as, like, hardened and wise crack as, like, <laughs> the Toby Ziegler, Dan Pfeiffer person is. Um, so 
They both worked together in the White House. They worked together on the 2008 Obama campaign. Um, and currently they, you know, have different jobs, but they um, have this podcast where they're talking about this election. Um, it's a political podcast and that they're talking about politics and the election, but they're really talking about it more from a campaign point of view and a weekly news point of view versus a let's have a podcast where we talk about the political issues. So when you listen to this podcast, you're not going to hear people yelling at, at each other. You're not going to hear impassioned arguments about why X topic is better than this topic or why people who believe X thing are just the worst people. You're really going to hear more of an analysis of what the political players are doing in this campaign and what these people think of those political players and their moves. Um, so it has been so incredibly helpful for me this election season. This is going to be the third presidential election I've voted in, but it's embarrassingly, embarrassingly for me to say kind of the first one I've ever really cared about and paid attention to. Um, this podcast has helped me really understand more like what a campaign is supposed to do, what's a smart move and what's a not smart move. Um, they analyze the smart things that the Trump campaign is doing and then saying things that they have no idea what the Trump campaign is doing. Um, to give you a little bit more background, they are definitely Democrats. They are um, more pro Hillary than they are Bernie, but they don't really have anything against Bernie. Um, they're definitely anti-Trump. Um, so if you're going into this podcast looking for a completely um, even balanced point of view on both sides, you're not going to get that. I will say, however, that they have um, a guest on usually every week and they have a good balance of conservative and liberal guests. Um, so they do have, they had a former campaign advisor to Jeb Bush on. They've had co conservative um analysts onto this show people who are definitely against hillary clinton and they're having to have they're getting to have like really informative conversations about what this election looks like from both points of view um they've had some amazing guests on so far they've had campaign advisors to different pol politicians lots of different people in the media news hosts um former white house press correspondents um they've had the hillary campaign advisor um they've had Thomas Perez, the Secretary of Labor, who is a v vice president, hopeful for Hillary Clinton. Um, anyway, either this, I've loved this podcast so much. Um, the reason I'm feeling it in particular this week is because John Favreau wrote a piece for The Ringer um, about Obama's role in this election that is really, really beautiful. I would highly encourage everyone to go check that out. This podcast is on The Ringer Network. You can listen to it individually or you can find it on The Ringer Network's like major podcast feed. That's an excellent find. That is a great suggestion because I've been really wanting a a podcast that does exactly what you're saying, which is not talk so much about specific key issues, but talk more about the kind of the political theater and just the entire political show that we're watching right now. So that sounds perfect. Yeah. If you like shows like The West Wing or House of Cards or Veep, you're going to like this podcast because it's about, yeah, how these players are interacting with each other on a purely like campaign level. They give advice to the politicians. Like if it were me, this is what I would advise this person to do next. I, I, it's, it's definitely a podcast that I've listened to. Um, I think it's, I think it does a really good job of 
keeping you engaged without, I don't know, make it, making you feel stupid for having missed, you know, certain political, political aspects or certain, you know, I mean, something political is happening all the time in the world right now. And Absolutely. so, and so it's, it does a good job of keeping you up to date on what's going on, um, without making it feel like you've missed out. Sure. And, um, they have a funny recurring, unintentional recurring bit where as soon as they record or post an episode, Trump will do something incredibly <laughs> crazy that they wish they could talk about on the episode. And so, for instance, this past week, they've been talking about for a while on the podcast whether or not Paul Ryan is going to endorse Trump and why Paul Ryan shouldn't endorse Trump. And so, of course, as soon as they finished recording, Paul Ryan endorsed Trump and they didn't get to have it in their episode that came out on Thursday. I also will say that it is very current. They talk about what happened that week in politics. And so you could just jump right in with the latest episode. But I would, if you have the time, recommend picking out a few episodes from the past to listen to, just because it'll give you a really great mindset of where we've been in this campaign. And that I think also helps us see where we're going. So excellent. Fine. Thank you, Sandra. All right, Lawson, what's making you give a thumbs up emoji this week? All right. Well, uh, I don't know if y'all are prepared for this, but <laughs> I am not going to be talking about music this week. Oh, surprise, <laughs> oh, surprise. Yeah, I didn't mean to fall into being the guy that always did music, but um, though if you want to see an amazing video of Cats uh, singing an <laughs> auto-tuned arrangement to the 2006 hit Bring Me to Life by Evanescence, just check out my Twitter feed and thank me or send me your angry tweets later. Um but the song I'm going to, or not the song. Wow, I am in that mode. Um, the movie I'm going to be talking about this week, um, also related to animals, is Zootopia. So everyone has already probably seen this. Uh, it might be headed to Blu-ray soon. But if you have not seen it, this is me saying as loud as I can, go see it. Um, I w traveled to Chicago this week, and so I had some travel time to catch up on movies and watch Zootopia. And... Uh, it is just such a well-done movie. It's incredible animation. It's so vivid. Um, the characters are so well-constructed. It's really interesting now that Disney has fully moved away from 2D animation to see kind of their distinctive style with 3D animation. And I think they've done a good job of kind of balancing really realistic environments with really uh, cartoony, approachable uh, characters and character models that look like they would be just great little stuffed animals for you to have at night, like to give to a kid as a, a toy, um, but also just really realistic, really compelling, and uh, just emotion comes through very, very strong. Um, very impressed by the animation and the art direction. Very clever world building. There's a lot of different areas in Zootopia where um, different types of animals live and kind of the way that they introduce those. Uh, is just so clever from a, a city planning standpoint and also just like some funny visual gags. I love the way they went through all the different like rainforest and uh, Arctic zones and uh, Sahara zones and all these different things. Um, also love the voice acting. There's some really well-known people um, doing some of the voice acting uh, that I won't go through. The one that surprised me, I didn't know she was involved, was Jenny Slate, who I love yeah, and everything. Too. Yeah, she was so good in her role. Um, and I, it was such a pleasant surprise when, it, as soon as she started talking, I was like, that's Jenny Slate. Um, so super, super excited about that. And the thing that took me off guard, um, that I had heard kind of rumblings about, but had was completely unprepared for was the allegory on race relations wrapped into the movie. Um, it was, it just, it made me go after watching the movie 
and research the history of the war on drugs. Like, which I would never expect from a animated Disney movie about talking animals. But um, there was enough as a really interesting and well done race allegory um, that certain parts, other plot points in the movie seem like they might also be allegorical, despite me never having heard of them. Um, and so it seemed worth looking into. Um, and it turned into like this black hole of really distressing conspiracy theories about the CIA and even more distressing interviews and admissions from former CIA operatives that a lot of the conspiracy theories weren't that far off or were completely true. And, uh, it was just crazy that I, A, hadn't heard of any of it before, um, because all of it was from reputable sources and a lot of it was like on PBS documentaries and all these like very well-cited things. Um, and it seemed like it would have been a large discussion of, uh, large, uh, area of discussion in the public forum and just hadn't come up. So it was crazy to kind of be figuring, uh, or reading this stuff for the first time. Um, and also felt really, really, uh, surreal that the way I had gotten there was through Zootopia. Um, but leaving that aside, it is just such a good movie on its own rights. It's, uh, super fun, um, really easily accessible. And a movie that kids will love. Like, every actor, every animator, and every storyteller is at their best in this. And I know it's making bukus of money, and it completely deserves it. Um, it's Yeah, it's just a great movie. I'm behind the curve, but I love it, and I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, Lawson, I'll agree that this... I mean, there's a lot to love about this film, but in particular, it was such a, like... Uh, uniquely, it took such a unique approach to to talking about identity politics in a film that I think still completely translates for kids, even in terms of lots of little details. Like, uh, if you know the plot at all, you know it follows this um, young rabbit who moves to the big city and she <clears throat> joins the police force, and it's a big deal because she's the first rabbit that's ever been part of the police force in this city. And so, even at the beginning, you have her kind of navigating things like somebody calls her she walks through the door and somebody calls her cute and she says well the thing about bunnies is like it's okay if we call each other cute but it's not really okay if someone who's not a bunny calls us cute so there's lots of little references like that that um that i think point to specific conversations happening in our culture right now or that have been happening over the last few decades but they always fit in really natural ways and because it's disney and because you have all these different um animal species interacting they just they have a lot of fun with that and there's lots of little clever wordplay and lots of clever sight gags that that specifically mirror conversations that we're having right now for me watching this film part of what was so just kind of charming and endearing about it is for all of the conflicts you encounter between the different species in the city it's so fun to see the ways that um, this city's utopia is designed to accommodate so many different types of people and so many different body types. So even yeah. like when you see the train, they have three separate entrances for the three different sizes of animals that might ride the train. And it's kind of fun to just imagine like if you could start from the ground up and create a society and create an infrastructure that would really be specifically geared towards how do we accommodate all different kinds of people? What would it look like? How would things be different? Um, and so it's almost kind of this like really dreamy, idyllic um, vision of what society could be if we figured out how to coexist with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I picked up on even though, you know, some of it because it's a kid's movie and there have to be good guys and bad guys. There is some black and white that they paint. But like most of everything is all these uh, displays of people being really kind to each other, considerate to each other. Like that scene you were talking about where um, somebody calls the bunny cute and she's like, actually, only we can call each other cute. That character's then like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so glad you're here, and I should never have said that. Like, everyone, um, and that character's like a really 
positive, uh, kind um, character throughout the movie. And like you said, there are so many infrastructural references to people being accommodating to each other. Um, it's really, uh, rather than just being a, like, a story that Disney could tell, which is like, these are the good people and these are the bad people, and here are some, the older you get, maybe these are some lines you could draw to connect them to different people. It's more of a showing by example. Like, we should all really try to be there for each other and make sure that everyone is accounted for and uh, and treated well. And it just shows people doing that rather than uh, preaching about it. Well, Lawson, that is a great pick. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Zootopia as well. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. All right. How about you, Lucas? What are you tipping your emoji hat to this week? Well, this week I'm feeling the YouTube channel, Every Frame a Painting. Um, it's, it's basically just a little... I mean, it's not little, it's really blown up in the last couple of years, but um, it's, it's, it's a guy, a, t- a video editor named uh, Tony Zhou, um, and he goes through and deconstructs just little elements um, of film and TV, which is, and it's really, really, really cool to see. Um, he doesn't go in and like, you know, review or tell, tell you, you know, what's wrong with a movie or anything like that. He takes like one specific um, um, point. So like recently he did, he did one, um, about the Coen brothers and how they use shot reverse shot. Um, he did one about how Edgar Wright does visual comedy. Um, um, he does one about David Fincher. He does one about Michael Bay. Um, and then he just does, you know, little ones here and there, not about a specific people, but about, you know, the presence of like, uh, chairs in movies and how, how people use chairs. Um, his most recent one is how does an editor think and feel? Um, and he does this really, really neat, um, they're, they're less than 10 minutes and it's just a nice little perspective of, um, of how people create films and what's really great about, um, about how they're created. He does, he does a really good job of being super positive about the stuff that he makes. Um, and so like the one about Michael Bay is called, you know, what is Bayhem? And that could be just a huge hate, hate fest, fest on Michael Bay um, and everything that's wrong with, you know, the things that Michael Bay does. But what he does is he really just kind of breaks down, this is how Michael Bay works. Um, these are the things that he does that are really well. These are things that people do trying to copy him in this blockbuster franchise. And um, these are the things that could be better. And so, but it's all super positive. Um, and it's just really encouraging to see, um, someone reviewing and kind of deconstructing film, uh, in a positive way. He recently did a, uh, a medium post about the editing of the Ghostbusters trailers, um, which is a really neat read. We can put that in the show notes, but, um, he, d- he doesn't really get into, you know, the politics of it at all. He just kind of breaks down, like, here's the American trailer. Here's the international trailer. Here's why this one's funnier than the other one. Um, and just how comedy editing works. So it's a really neat channel. I would definitely, definitely, um, have you guys check that out. I've heard the name of it before Lucas and always thought like, Oh, that would be interesting to check out. And now that I'm like, I've, googled it and looked at it i really am excited to just spend a whole afternoon like going through these videos um absolutely this, yeah this how does an editor think and feel one is just so right up my alley i'm very very excited yeah it's it's really great it gives you a whole new perspective on on the way um these movies are made and he uses a bunch of good, good clips from um from movies that that you have seen versus a lot of you know chinese japanese movies that most people haven't seen and kind of how they um how they compare against each other it's a it's a really cool thing that's awesome it feels like a really i don't know like a skillshare or continuing ex- education for somebody that might want to be at a film school i mean i i know that there's times where i had wished that i had 
gone and majored in film and like love film as a text but didn't really know as much of what's going on and this just seems like a perfect little crash course it is absolutely well lucas that's a great find thank you for pointing us in that direction all right it would probably be too strong to say that i am uh laughing tears of joy emoji at what I'm feeling this week, but it is something I'm pretty excited <laughs> about. Uh, my pick this week is The Bachelorette uh, of all shows. Uh, I started watching this season of The Bachelorette for two reasons. First, I just really wanted a dumb summer show to get into. Uh, living in Chicago, it's like it's finally warm and it feels like it's finally summer and summer has just arrived. And so I wanted something kind of it's kind of like a summer read, although even this, I think, is way dumber than a summer read. I just wanted some dumb, fun show to get into. Uh, I work in an open office where there's a lot of different conference rooms and occasionally people will like put on a game to watch together or put on a movie. And so I talked a few of my coworkers into watching The Bachelor with me this season. So I'm really excited for us to all go through it together. Um, second, I wanted to watch it because it allows me to keep in touch with different family members who are watching the show. My older brother actually knows one of the contestants. They were um, no uh, way. in Which school one? together. Uh, James Taylor. Um, wow. Yeah, who is from Katy, Texas. Um, so like he knew a lot him of Texans on this season. Yeah, there are. There's lots of references to Texas and uh, Dallas, other big cities. Um, so little facts. This is the 12th season of The Bachelorette in addition to 20 seasons of The Bachelor, in addition to a few different spinoffs that they've done, like The Bachelor Pad and other things. So Bachelor we are Paradise. like in the dozens of seasons. We're at the dozens of seasons point now. Um, the original season of The Bachelor premiered way back in 2002 for some reason i was thinking it was a lot longer than that and i remember watching that first season with my mom i think the guy's name was alex uh because at that time it was like such a novel premise this was in the age of like survivor and big brother and all these big shows that were doing stuff for the first time that felt so exciting um and so i watched the first season of the bachelor i don't know i've like caught a few episodes since then but i've never like gone deep on any season um and honestly, it's really bizarre watching it this season after being away for so long. First and foremost, because most of the contestants are right around my age. Some of them are even younger than me. And so I remember oh, when yeah. I watched this, like, as this a... Is a particularly young season because last season ben was the bachelor and he was the youngest bachelor they'd ever had at 26 so all the girls were younger because of that and so when they pooled for the bachelorette this season it's you know all creates a very young season as well jojo's 25 and she's the bachelorette this year so they're just they're just going younger and younger and younger until it's going to be like a bunch of 18 year olds running around So I should say I have not kept up with The Bachelor to know the different approaches that different seasons have taken. Uh, I did a little research just about kind of different twists they've introduced in different seasons. But at least for this season, it feels like the show walks kind of a bizarre line of this sort of unbelievable, we're going for this self-deception where it seems like certain contestants really believe the things they're saying and the show wants you to believe the things that you're saying. But you also have occasional moments of surprising self-awareness. So it's really tough for me to pin down what how this show sees itself and how seriously it wants us to take it. I think that as it's gone on and on, it wants us to take it less and less seriously. Uh, but there are still times where it feels like it wants you to believe everything that's happening and it wants you to see through kind of the sheer artifice of the show. Um, so you kind of know what to expect from a show like this. There's lots of terrible one-liners. There's lots of really quick, awkward edits, edits that end up being unintentionally hilarious. There's lots of um, very blatant musical cues that kind of tell you exactly how to feel about any specific moment. Uh, but more than anything, this show has just been a lot of fun to watch. One of the elements that's been um, really interesting this season, and again, I keep saying that like I'm comparing it to other seasons, but I don't really know much about The Bachelorette. Uh, there's a contestant whose name is Chad, 
and he was initially kind of introduced as the bad boy of the season. So the villain. Like, yeah, he's the villain. So he's the guy that's always getting fights with. He's getting in fights with the other guys in the house. Um, he's really mean. He doesn't seem to like want or need Jojo the Bachelorette as much as the other guys do. But what's so strange? Uh, we're two episodes in now. What's so strange about the second episode is he really starts to sound like kind of this. Uh, this voice of reason or almost this like prophetic court jester. Um, there was like, there was a challenge where all of the guys, they were like, um, I think they were like at the ESPN headquarters or something. And they did all these like sports related games. And one of them was, it wound up with like, they were supposed to do a, give a fake proposal to Jojo. So you have all these guys coming and giving these really sincere proposals about like what Jojo means to them and why they're so much in love with her. And this is like the first real date they've been on with her. And it's a group date. And so Chad gets up and he's basically like, this is so dumb. I don't love you. I don't know why anybody would think that I would love you. Like, I'm open to the idea of maybe exploring a relationship with you. But of course, I don't love you yet because we've just met each other. And the show kind of tried to spin it as like, oh, here's this villain who like... He's not in this for the right reasons, um, and like his heart's not really in this. And the other guys talked about it. But you could tell even JoJo was kind of like, "Oh, this is kind of refreshing to have a guy actually speak to me like a human and take this relationship at a normal pace." So Chad is kind of the fun, uh, the fun bizarro element in the room uh, this season. Who, by saying things that are just completely honest and realistic, just kind of blows up the universe of the show and blows up the rules. Uh, and I'm really excited that uh, my guess is they will be keeping him around right until the end because he also is just the source of a lot of fights and conflicts with the other guys. Yeah, Chad is so frustrating because he he does make sense some of the times, and then the and then there are other times when he is making no sense or he's just being awful and sexist and just Absolutely. a jerk of a person. So it's so frustrating for the voice of reason to be coming from such a horrible person. <laughs> um, I also I do want to give a shout out that there are three Nashville guys on The Bachelorette this season. Um, I'm rooting for one of them, Wells. Brent, do you have a favorite? Okay, yes, guy Wells. So far yeah, yeah. No, Sandra, I'm totally on the Wells train as well. They had a uh, they had some conversation that it was, felt like the first time I had seen anything like real chemistry between humans on the show. Yeah. Um, so I'm all about Wells. I do want her to keep chat around, even though, like you said, I think there's a lot about him I really don't like. I think he's just such a hilarious, like, brash voice of honesty on the show that I want to keep him in the mix. The other thing I want to say about this season is there are fun, there are great moments where it does feel a little more self-aware. And so one of the pieces is um, the uh, the career descriptions that they give for each contestant. Ugh. Um, kind of crack me up because in some cases it'll be like what you would expect, like bartender or firefighter. But there's one contestant whose identity was or uh, or career was listed as hipster. There's another one whose career was listed as bachelor super fan. Oh, and then there's a third guy whose career has rotated between comedian, male model, and Canadian. <laughs> um, so it just kind of cracks me up that even with these guys, like they're not trying to, they're not even really trying to pretend. Um, like that they are other anything other than what they are uh, that has made for good TV when you were talking about the firemen um, I I don't watch the show but there's a bachelorette pool going on at the agency where I work and the person I work right next to is really into it and like catches me up on it every week after the episode and apparent I heard that one of the challenges was like a Uh, uh, (laughs) a firefighting like training exercise and one of the people competing was an actual firefighter yeah and of course that person won and i was like how is this a thing like that's it was just so ridiculous to me 
they're, well, and they're they ended with somebody. I just remember somebody saying that some line along the lines of like, "Man, and I just had a chance to to save JoJo's life today, and I totally blew it." And he said it like completely sincerely <laughs> and honestly, and it was just one of those sublime <laughs> moments. And, so yeah, what I'm feeling this week is the Bachelorette and uh, summer guilty pleasures. I'm a weirdo, not a hero. Had a psych eval, didn't clear though. Ergo, I say ergo. Cut my ear off, now I can't hear stereo. If that makes me weird, I'm weird. I use a Mach 3 razor on my beard. Use a Mach 10 razor down it. Seven more plays, cause I like a shear. Use a banana as a telephone. Use a banana as a telephone. Now we want to transition to talk about kind of our main topic this week, and this is going to be really informative for me, because this is all going to be brand new information for me. Uh, this week, the new film from The Lonely Island uh, premiered pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, or I should say was released in theaters, and most of us went to see it and have a lot of thoughts to share about it. So yeah, let's just open up the conversation. I'm really interested in hearing what are your uh, initial reactions to this film? What was great? What was bad? Uh, let's start with Sandra. I am a huge Lonely Island fan. I've, I like listen to their albums. I watch all their videos. Um, Hot Rod was a favorite film of mine and my brother's when, oh, yeah. when we were in high school together. Um, so I was incredibly excited about this film. Um, I had a really great time in it. I also should say I love pop music and I love pop music documentaries. I went to see the Justin Bieber documentary, all of the One Direction documentaries, the Katy Perry documentary. So I'm a fan of this genre that they're parroting. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of fun. I will say just like first reaction to it is that I think it's a little overhyped. I'm seeing a ton of love for this movie on my Twitter feed and the reviews have been pretty big saying that this possibly is the funniest movie of the year and while I had a great time I think I went in with a little too high of expectations um so yeah the music is my favorite part about this movie uh, I'm still singing a lot of the songs in my head the morning after um it I think this is a great movie for anyone who likes the lonely island and who has seen one of these pop documentaries before and knows ex knows the who they're making fun of um but yeah fun time not my funniest movie of the year but definitely a good time had Sandra, with the music i'm curious i know the lonely island tends to do they tend to do songs that simultaneously like parody certain genres uh but at the same time like use the different rules of that genre to create like legitimately entertaining catchy songs so would you say it's a similar situation in this film yeah, absolutely. Their humor has always been on the more like absurd and goofy um, than like super critical. And I think this movie is one of the first times when they are not the first time, but when they're making a stronger effort to be a little bit more critical of an industry versus just using pop music to have like a really funny song. Um, and so that was really interesting to me. Um I like both. I like when they just have, I threw it on the ground, you know, a song about throwing things on the ground that isn't really being critical of anything. It's just funny. And I also like when they're making a comment about the music industry. Um, so they have a little bit of both, but a little bit more commentary in this than I think their normal, you know, set of music. What about you, Lawson? What were your initial reactions? Yeah, so I agree with a lot of what Sandra said. Um, I, uh, I feel like a movie like this 
could rest on the idea of we're going to be a lampooning of uh, pop music documentaries. We're going to be a uh, we're just going to be a, a satirization and that's it. And one of the things I love about this movie that I think puts it on a similar level, um, I'm kind of, at this point, my impression of it is that it's this generation's spinal tap. Um, And one of the the things that puts it there is the fact that it really does have um, at its center characters that you care about and characters that you want to see make good decisions and excel throughout the plot. Um, It's... There's an arc, there's uh, a movement, there's a story that uh, matters and kind of has you wrapped in that they get to put all of these trappings on. So the music is completely incredible. Another thing that brings me, makes it feel like a parallel to Spinal Tap is like the Spinal Tap album, whenever it came out, sold so many records because, um, or on top of being great comedic songs, they were also great additions to the genre itself. And like, I felt that way about this uh, movie. These songs were so catchy and so funny and had several, like, genuinely surprising moments. Um, It also did a great job of... I mean, you could just tell everything was all out on this. Like, the the art direction in the staging, like, all these big arena concerts that they show in this movie are incredible. Like, they're really great visualizations going on um, during all of the, like, song numbers and on top of being like great concert visualizations, they always they also film the whole thing and edit it in a way to where those visualization visualizations uh, make for some just really punchy comedic moments, like some great uh, areas that really punch up and make things that are funny like to a whole nother level. Um, and then I just the number of cameos in this are incredible. Um, I was really taken aback by. Uh, I mean, it makes sense because it's Judd Apatow who can call everybody and get you know get them in the movie but uh the cameos were incredible and then um on top of all that uh Andy Samberg just really shows himself as a person who's able to carry an entire movie in this I mean this is his sweet spot this is the Lonely Island this is what they've been doing since they were friends in college together this is the kind of fruition of their whole deal but um uh, kind of appropriately since they're the three of them are portrayed as a uh, boy band where uh, Andy Samberg's character is kind of the breakout. That's similar to what's going on in this movie. Like the three of them really do an amazing, incredible thing in this movie. Um, But Andy Samberg, uh, like at the end of the movie, I was really struck by how charismatic he was and how much he was able to carry this whole thing. Um, My wife at the end of it was like, I know that uh, people who portray characters aren't their characters. Like, I know that Tina Fey isn't Liz Lemon. She's actually this really savvy, amazing businesswoman who's really intimidating to everybody. But whenever I see Andy Samberg, like, actually on stage acting that convincingly like a pop icon, I'm blown away. Like, when did he become attractive? <laughs> like, it's Andy just... Andy Samberg has always been attractive. No. <laughs> I mean, not, not my words. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I'll, I'll take it up with Lindsay afterwards. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was... Yeah, just so well done. I was really impressed by it. Um, and one of the the things in particular I'll say before um, we continue forward is just I loved how much this movie would make, I don't know if loved is the right word, but I just thought it was so funny how much this movie would make zero sense to my parents. Right. Like every single one of these references um, and the beats that they were hitting were all about and they hit so well, but they're all pop culture um, and pop music references to things that are going on right now. 
The past um, five years. Yeah, the past five years. And so it just did an incredible... I mean, I think the best job you can do of um, having fun within that area. But, like, if you're not familiar with that part of pop culture, like, this movie will entirely go over your head. But that said, I think it's incredible, and I really hope that it does well because they did this thing right. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that I'm curious to see... I know the uh, um, the Spinal Tap analogy has been has been thrown around a lot, and I feel like... I feel like I'm I'm curious to see how this movie will look in five years. How well it endures, yeah. Exactly. I thought that same thing. Spinal Tap is great, will always be great. Whereas this movie, I I liked it in the moment, but I I I don't think it's going to hold up very long. (laughs) Um, As you said, as you said, like the references are super super niche, super like right where we are in this moment, Um, and I don't I I don't think that's going to last. Um, I, I do think they did a great job of being where they are now and just like having a ton of fun. I don't I don't I don't like see that as a downside. Um, I, I think they did a fantastic job of actually just, you know, hey, this is where we are. Let's let's be funny about this. And I, I think there's something to be said about movies, some movies being a time capsule for like what culture mm-hmm. was like in that moment and for us to like re- revisit and maybe not like people who weren't alive or like culturally present in this moment maybe not, may not get the jokes 10 years from now, but the people who were will get to look back on it and be like, oh yeah, remember when yeah. pop culture was that way. Apatow movies do that a lot. Like I remember in Knocked Up, there's a specific plot point about one character going to see Spider-Man 3 in the movie. And then I saw that movie again on TV recently, and I was like, oh yeah, Spider-Man 3 was in theaters at one point. Now that's the farthest thing from relevant, but when it came out, (laughs) everyone was looking forward to it. Yeah, I think the time capsule approach is really interesting, and Apatow does it a lot. Well, Apatow didn't direct this movie. Right, he produced. Yeah. But like movies he's involved with. Yeah. Don't give him all the credit, Lawson. (laughs) I don't want to. It's only Island. They did great. It's them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I do think, um, I mean, obviously, like, their wheelhouse is you know get, getting these really catchy songs and doing like a quick like skit like their uh, their digital shorts section of um, Saturday Night Live is I think where they where they where they are best. I liked their movie Hot Rod, um, but I, I don't think it was better than I don't think it was better than anything they'd done before that. <laughs> I think they do, I think they really excel in doing you know quick videos that are hilarious. I think the longer you draw out some of those things. Um, the the flatter they fall, which I think I think definitely happened in this movie. I feel like there's a lot of there's a I feel like this is kind of pieced together a bunch of sketches that would have been really great sketches, um, but are just kind of they they come together for a fun movie, but they they do a great job of not really forcing a plot too much. I mean the the plot is super simple and super basic, which I think if they'd gone any deeper than that, it would have been terrible. Um, I think they did a good job of just kind of, it, you know, just kind of coming out immediately like this. This it, movie is not going to be story driven. It, it is just fun, um, which I which I do think it accomplished. Yeah, this movie so, feels like one that. Oh no, go ahead, Brent. Well, I was going to say so. It feels like in general people are giving pretty positive reviews. Would y'all say this is something you would recommend? I'd 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 recommend it um, cautiously. I guess there's certain people I'd recommend it to. I I, I feel like most most people I wouldn't. <laughs> I would definitely recommend it to a lot of people, but I, I hate saying this, but it, it probably wouldn't be something I would recommend people go see in theaters this summer. I think no. If I think people have to spend their money strategically on summer movies, and um, I feel like this is one that I might have had a much 
more fun time watching at home in my living room without the pressure of like me and my friends went out to go see this and we all paid a ticket price to go see it. And it's a Friday night, you know, um, I feel like that adds a lot of pressure to a movie to be amazing. Whereas I think if I had watched this in a little bit of a lower risk environment, I would have had a, a little bit more fun with it. See, while I hear that, I, this movie was exactly what I needed this week. Like it was just a really like vacation was great. And then we got back and a lot of heavy things hit and it was just kind of a hard week overall. And being able to go to the movie, go to see this movie in a theater full of people who are all cracking up. One of the best theater experiences I've had in years, honestly, mostly because no one was talking or playing on a video game right next to me. But um, it was so, um, it was such a nice break and escape to be in an air conditioned room and just see really, really well done comedy. I think you're right. I think this will definitely, this strikes me as in the tradition of um, Hot Rod and Will Ferrell movies and, uh, old Adam Sandler movies, like the kind of thing that could, especially if you're in the right age group, be something you latch onto, watch over and over and know all the words to every songs and be, you know, know all the beats, but still laugh every time. I think this movie's great for that scenario. But um, if you are really just looking to get away from the summer heat and you need something uh, to laugh at, this movie is not going to disappoint. And I think it's worth your price of admission. Okay. So do so y'all see want it, Brent, to see it? Oh, right. Okay. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and shift and move into a spoiler section? I'll do my best to block up my ears, but that allows us to get into some more specific plot points and talk about uh, in really specific terms uh, what did and did not work. So if you do not want uh, Popstar to be spoiled, I would recommend going ahead and fast forwarding to the end. Otherwise, let's talk spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, but I can guess. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. So did, so did y'all have a favorite gag? Like, what was, what was the thing that got, like, the biggest laugh in your theaters? Okay, so- the, biggest, the biggest laugh in our theater, by far, was this moment where he's, uh, he wants to play the poppies, which is, like, uh, an equivalent of the Grammys or the MTV Music Awards or something like that. And he, his album isn't selling well, so he wants to do this concert, and his publicist tells him that he didn't get it. And so he's really sad. Um, and then later on, he's like reuniting with some of his friends and gets the offer, gets uh, a phone call to do it. And he's like, what? How did I get offered? And they said, yeah, Taylor Swift was convicted of murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have six minutes to do whatever you want. And our theater, like, we couldn't hear anything for the next 30 seconds. That's funny that that got such a big laugh because that felt like such a throwaway <laughs> line. And I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It was just like there were so many big gags and that was the thing that everyone just couldn't handle. I think the biggest thing in my theater that got just got a got huge last was every time like the TMZ equivalent crew yes. came on um as, was... as, as soon as it, it was just the most over the top Will Arnett thing I've ever seen and his like it that did look exactly like a Saturday Night Live sketch that was such a great um, every, everybody thing. in ridiculous hilarious fake wigs and it just kept coming up and every time that it, it came up nobody even had to say anything yet but as soon as it came up everyone was dying laughing those are my favorite bits in the whole movie yeah that was that was really great um for me it was and guys I'm singing it 
all morning was um, the finest girl song, Fuck Bin Laden. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, like, our theater died during that song. Ours too. Um, I, I've been humming that to myself ever since we got out of the movie theater. Is that the same I'm, song that was featured on the SNL finale? Y- yes. Okay, it felt so strangely like it was great to have Andy Samberg back and um, it like, yeah, it's a hilarious song, but it did feel kind of strangely out of place because it was like uh, Andy Samberg wasn't really in the show, the the finale at all elsewhere. And it felt like the humor was a like a, just a few years kind of off in terms of timing and relevance. Uh, so it, it felt strange in Saturday Night Live, but it sounds like it fit a lot better in the movie. I'm so glad that I had not yet seen the Saturday Night not Saturday Night Live finale because that made all of the lines and all of the beats of that song just yeah. complete surprises, and it just got better and better. Yeah, I think uh, that's one thing that was really, really great was their their the music choices. I know they have like there's going to be a whole album that they're working on and everything like that, but just the songs they chose for this movie were perfect just hilarious yeah okay so speaking of music um i was really loving the songs and probably like the first third of the movie and then Mm. i was really disappointed with that finale number yep Uh, that was so sad to me because i feel like if they could have ended on an amazing pop song that could have if they could if they had had a song up their sleeve that could have been this summer's like i'm on a boat yeah. I I think that mo- this movie would have left me in such a better place. Um, yep. I was it was such a bummer to not have like an amazing catchy song to end the whole movie with. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. they might have painted themselves into a corner a little bit yeah. with the where the plot went because they kind of had to have. It reminds me of like Tenacious D's greatest song in the world in principle yeah. a little bit where it's just like if you're if the whole concept of this song is that it's the best like it's harder to actually be the best because you don't have a straight angle to follow you can't just follow what the song needs to be you kind of have to move it into this place of um being this comeback hit yeah personally i felt like i got a little like tired of all of the cameos same Um, there were i feel like there's (laughs) just so many and i love the cameos when there was some when the person in saying the line had something to say that was very funny because of who they were. So, for instance, yeah. when Mariah Carey yes. said mm-hmm. that she loved the the song "I'm So Humble," I got a that got me a huge laugh. Um, but and I love Justin Timberlake, you know, being a chef in this movie and then having like a secret musical moment. Um, yeah. But just the endless cycle of just celebrity after celebrity saying complimentary things to this fictional character was a little overwhelming. I also think it, it got a little confusing for me just because of how many how many famous people are in this movie, which ones were playing themselves and which ones were playing other famous, like uh, like just other famous people in the, an actual character in the movie. Um, that, that got a little confusing at some point because all the talking heads are real people, but then you also have real people in the movie. So it's, it was weird. I think we should definitely talk about like 
all of the people this movie is like dissing in throughout like so many different like oh. very pointed specific diss on actual celebrities huge diss on Macklemore yeah Macklemore a big one obviously Justin Bieber this is like very much a Justin Bieber character yeah. I love that they broadened it past just a Justin Bieber lampooning but like yeah that's mm-hmm. a, that's such a big part yeah and then um I will say the moment that made my jaw drop, like, I can't believe they said that, was when Simon Cowell um, said, like, oh, if we had this bucket head, we could have kept Zane in the band. Yep. That was, like, not funny. I was like, what? Oh, I, I thought it was... <laughs> I thought it was really funny. I loved For that me, line. <laughs> I am, like, you know, of course, emotionally invested in One Direction, so... I couldn't find the humor in that moment, but it was like, I can't believe they just said that. (laughs) I love the TMZ bit where Will Arnett just comes back with like more and more cups and bigger and bigger cups. It was very funny. Yeah. It's so simple, but it got me. Mike Birbiglia's wig in that scene. Oh, yeah. fantastic. (laughs) I also wanted to bring up, um, as amazing as Andy Samberg is in this movie, I adore him. And I think he does have this like amazing star quality. I really loved the performance by Yorma Tacone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I feel like he is such a good actor. And he was, like, the heart of this movie. And he has done some, like, straight acting, not, like, ridiculous comedy acting in Girls. Mm-hmm. And he was just this, like, amazing small character in Girls. I would really, really love to see his career, like, take off in like an interesting indie acting way i think Mm -hmm. i think he has such great potential that like we haven't gotten to see all of it yeah there are several moments throughout the season that he's in in girls that i've just completely forgotten but i remember his character and his arc so distinctly Yeah. yeah he does a great job yeah i think in this movie he's not he's not an audience surrogate but i think he's definitely the one we connect to the most in this huge lavish you know, life of a movie that's happening here. Um, and I think he's the one that, that yeah, that even though it's, this is this is a movie about Connor, this is really, um, he's kind of the one who's actually driving any plot points home in this movie. His character is like the Eduardo to Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network. Mm-hmm. Just like, yes. oh, you just feel yep. for him and you just want that, like, connection to be back again. Yeah. Did anyone have a favorite one-liner? Nope. No, I can't remember like one-liners. <laughs> the I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put you all in the spot like that. The line <laughs> that uh, blew me away was when Sarah Silverman who plays um, the publicist says, "You know, Connor's music isn't the kind of music that I listen to in my own free time, but it just makes so many people so much money." Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> was that was pretty brilliant. I'm curious to see how much of this movie was improv and how much of this was really you know nailed down in a script because i think it flows really well um and so it seems like something that's exactly scripted but the people who are making this movie do not seem like people who would have a specific script that they stick to the whole time so i am curious to see how that went i know sometimes projects coming out of groups that do sketch comedy or like um film adaptations of even like snl characters can sometimes just feel really bloated in terms of there's really only kind of one big joke and they're just really milking that joke for everything it's worth. Uh, does this film ever feel that way? For me, no, for me, not it to didn't. Me. I feel like they have a bigger genre of something to satirize versus like one aspect of the genre. So they're satirizing like the types of songs that people put out, the 
um, the lavish lifestyle, the people that they that pop stars surround themselves with. There, there's a lot to work with in this category. So I feel like they had enough material to make a full movie out of it. Yeah, this definitely could have slipped into feeling like one sketch that was just way too long. And I think it completely avoided that pitfall. Yeah, as I said before, I, I do feel like it was a bunch of little sketches that got stitched together. Um, and I think that's that's what kept it going was all of these um, just kind of little quick arcs um, throughout the movie that I felt like were really, really big hits. All right. Any other big thoughts on Popstar? Nope. It was fun. Yeah. See, it, was... see it when it comes out on TVT <laughs> with, with a group. I, I, I will say, yeah, I will say, absolutely. even though it's not one I... I recommend to go see in theaters. I would say watch it with the group because it is fun laughing at this movie with people. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, again, I'll say I this is the first time I've been in a theater seeing a movie that wasn't a huge tentpole blockbuster in a while. And it was just so enjoyable to be in a movie that's like a, pr- around a pretty concise 90-minute runtime, um, doesn't involve a larger cinematic universe, and uh, it was just a really fun time. So whether you wait to rent it on DVD or decide to go make it part of your summer, I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, one other question I do have, one kind of lingering question is, if I were interested in the music of this film, but maybe we're going to wait to see it on DVD, uh, should I wait to encounter that music in context first and see it on screen and, and understand all the visual gags? Or could I just pick up the album and enjoy it on its own? I think, here's the thing. I think if you don't want the laughs to be spoiled in the movie then wait to listen to the music but if that's not a concern i think you'll the music is funny on its own yeah the music is really good and i i would have a hard time saying don't go listen to the music because yeah. it's amazing yeah but yeah yeah exactly and what sandra said i think there's a lot on the sound the soundtrack is pretty large i haven't listened to all of it but yeah. i also think there's a lot on the soundtrack that isn't in the movie um, i know so uh the soundtrack is worth listening to as a separate entity. Um, there's one track in particular that was released, uh, a short video as like a marketing piece and it wasn't in the movie at all, but it's on the, the song is on the soundtrack. It's called I'm a weirdo. And it's just like this rap. It's just like this one long rap verse. That's really fun and funny. Um, so that's a particular favorite of something that I, I saw before the movie came out and um, was wondering if it was going to be in the movie and it's not, but it's on the soundtrack. Yeah, the album can totally stand on its own and the movie can stand on its own without having to rely on all of the music being something you're hearing for the first time. But the first time you watch it will definitely be a lot more fun if you've never listened to the music before. So if you want to, go for it. The movie's still going to have plenty for you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that was three out of four of us talking about uh, Popstar, and that is our show for this week. So this is Feeling It. We love interacting with listeners uh, outside of the show. Uh, so we would love for you to follow us on Twitter at feeling it pod, uh, tweeted us, let you know, let us know what you think. Also, if you have reviews for us, please leave us a review on iTunes. It looks like we've got one so far, but we would love to see more. We'd love to hear your feedback, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like us to cover on future topics. We're always open for that kind of thing. So before you go, let's just make sure you know where to find each of us online. Sandra, where can we find you? You can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Lawson. Uh, You can find me on basically every social platform, most specifically Instagram and Twitter at Lawson West. Lucas. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Lucas and Stuff. Follow me there. And I'm Brent Bailey. You can find me anywhere online under the username B-R-P-A-B-A. 
All right, and that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. See ya. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.